This episode is brought to you by Affordable Drill Towers. Founded in 2016 by our good friend Steve Sanguidoce, a retired Houston, Texas firefighter, the Affordable Drill Tower was designed and built with functionality and versatility in mind for any training ground. As a standalone training tower and add-on to an existing burn building or connect setup, the Affordable Drill Tower packs a massive punch at an affordable price tag. With over 50 towers across the country, from Massachusetts to California, Montana to Texas, professionally engineered, NFPA and ISO compliant, the Affordable Drill Towers brings the versatility to your training ground. From Main Street USA, the small town fire company in their back parking lot, to the training grounds of the largest metropolitan fire academy, the Affordable Drill Tower fits the bill for price and functionality. Check them out at AffordableDrillTowers.com. And two things I like to talk about also when talking about our friends over at Affordable Drill Towers. One, their customized training program. They have the ability to bring some of the best talent from across the country to your home turf after the install of the Affordable Drill Tower. Designing a customized training program for you and your department, Steve will facilitate some of the biggest and brightest names of the American Fire Service to come in and work with you and your department. And secondly, and I think most important, is Steve's belief in need over greed. The affordable drill tower company gives back to not-for-profits that support organizations in the American Fire Service. Organizations such as the Joey D Foundation, which is near and dear to Steve Sanguidoche's heart, as well as many other not-for-profits that he takes a part of. He takes great pride in providing funding for organizations that push this job forward. So check them out. Steve and Dennis over at Affordable Drill Towers. Send them an email at info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Check them out on social media. And their YouTube page is kicking butt with great information, training nuggets, and information about their towers. So check them out, Affordable Drill Towers, and let them know Jeremy over at National Fire Radio sent you. This episode's brought to you by Ridgeway Leatherworks. Ridgeway Leatherworks is a firefighter-owned and operated business as well as a family-run business, and that's what I love about it. Rob and his family are passionate about their customer service and the quality product and craftsmanship they put out for the emergency services. Rob's been on the show. We've been to his his business. We've seen them in action. I've even tried to hand-paint radio straps. I promise you, it is not as easy as what the final outcome looks like. The product is so good, it's so clean and crisp, and yet, man, it takes that steady hand. Rob's become a near and dear friend of our podcast, and you hear that over and over when we talk about our sponsors, that they're friends, supporters, and that's what this networking community is all about, is supporting one another. Ridgeway Leatherworks, Rob Meyer, crushing it. Quality and craftsmanship is number one. Customer service is right there with it. From custom radio straps, universal radio holsters, chin straps, flashlight holders, anti-sway straps, and locker tags made out of leather, there's plenty of opportunity along the way when you deal with Ridgeway Leatherworks. So check them out at RidgewayLeatherworks.com. Find them on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And tell Rob you heard about him on the National Fire Radio platform and give them a little pluck and tell them keep up the good work we need to support our firefighter owned businesses and especially family run businesses where his two daughters and his wife help out day in and day out along with his other employees so again ridgeway leatherworks check them out at ridgewayleatherworks.com and find them on all your social media channels 
Hey, everybody, Jeremy National Fire Radio back on the podcast today. A guy that I want to, I'm going to share, Chief, I'm going to share a quick story about you as after sure. I do this uh, soft intro here. Uh, it's very hard to do a 20 second intro on a guy like you because. Um, you have an incredible backstory and pedigree and so on. And I do feel, um, you are, I say this a lot to guys on this podcast, but you are one of my favorite people. I always enjoy talking to you and you always make me laugh. Uh, 34 years in the city of Bridgeport, Connecticut, the last five years as a chief of department, we're going to get into that retired. You weren't done yet. You went to Danbury, Connecticut, and you're now the chief of department there for the past year and a half. Chief Rich Thode. Welcome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Always good to be here. Always good to talk. <laughs> so the story I want to talk about real quick, if, if the people that are listening haven't, uh, if they don't remember you from the previous episode, you were on a couple of years ago with us. Um, and yep. it was, a, it was a lot of fun to get together with you for the episode and do an interview about your career. And I would, I would really say to go back people that are listening, if they didn't listen to your episode, go back and find Rich Thode's episode in uh, a couple of years ago and give it a listen. It's a fantastic podcast, but also you invited us up the Dan, uh, sorry, up the Bridgeport for the day. And we basically rode with you around the city. You took us to firehouses. You showed us and introduced us to so many people on the line. And it was just a, a really impactful day for us. And, uh, well, in fact, uh, we didn't catch a single job that day. And I think. No, now, no. But what happened the next day? Yeah, work. <laughs> work. <laughs> right. And so we, we started this conversation before I hit the record button about how much of a white cloud myself and the National Fire Radio team is. And then a guy like yourself, you are uh, an unbelievable black cloud throughout your entire career. And it's still happening to you regularly. So I'm hoping, yeah. I'm hoping that a job drops while we're chatting right now and, and we're going with you. All right, we'll switch from audio to visual. We'll FaceTime it, and I'll, I'll take you to it. I love that. So, Rich, thanks for joining me, man. Um, it's always fun connecting with you. And one of my fun stories about you was very early on in National Fire Radio, uh, I was thumbing through direct messages on Instagram, and this guy uh, sent me a direct message on Instagram, and it says, Hey, uh, if you ever want to get over to Bridgeport, I might know a guy over there. And so I replied back like, hey, man, thanks for the opportunity. I know some people up there. That's great. I appreciate it. To preface that, a lot of people always want to try to hook us up with meetings and people and departments and when, in fact, they really don't even have that many hooks there. And and then and then I'm like, hey, Rob, this guy wants to bring us to Bridgeport, Connecticut. He's, he's like, who is it? And I sent him a picture of you. And I'm like, this guy, Rich, though, he, he goes, bro, I just Googled his name. He's the chief of department in Bridgeport. And I'm like, oh, my God. I felt like <laughs> such an idiot, such an idiot. And I actually had funny, to like. You kept going to Stanford and you're going to Frank Dawson yeah. and you're looking yeah, at yeah, all yeah. the clean fire trucks in Stanford. <laughs> I said, hey, I said, come up the road a couple miles and see, you know, Shots see some fired. dirty trucks. I love it. <laughs> well, and so talk about dirty trucks, right? What does that tell? What does that say about the city? I mean, you Bridgeport, uh, 34 years there chief and i know you're a decorated firefighter you love the rescue company there and then you yeah. and and i do know for a fact that you thoroughly enjoyed your chief years and oh, yeah. and you were a chief of the people and i don't mean that in a weird way i mean that in a way that you absolutely love and endorsed your people and i saw that firsthand when we were in bridgeport with you during that day where we run around and you knew every single person's name for the most part and you even talked to guys about their families or who they were or where they sat on a promotion list you were really dialed in how important is that as a chief it's it's very important it's uh i'm actually kind of struggling with it in my new assignment which i'll talk about later but yeah. but 
I was I was a line guy. I I kind of accidentally fell into the Chiefs job in Bridgeport, and I actually kind of accidentally fell into the Chiefs job in Danbury too. <laughs> so uh, it just kind of it's you know timing and karma is just the way things work. But, Usually is. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, my when I got the job in in Bridgeport, the way I found out about it was the guy I was replacing came in and threw his badge on the table and said, "Apparently, they want you." And threw his badge at me. He was he was not oh. a very lovable guy. <laughs> and and that's and I called my wife. I said, "Hey, I think I'm the fire chief." I think I just got like, promoted. Yeah, you are. A, she goes, "You are a chief." I go, "No, not a chief." A chief. <laughs> wow. How so, big of, how big funny. of a job is Bridgeport? How many guys? So Bridgeport's 300, uh, nine engines, four trucks, uh, heavy rescue, and the city has a river. It runs up the middle and splits the city in half, and there's a chief with an aide on each side of the city. Yeah. So and six, it's, 62 on a shift. And it's a tough town. You guys go to work there. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. They, they do really well. I mean, the city, like every New England city, they're, they're trying to turn around, and they every once in a while they take one step forward and, and you know, one and a half back, you know, they but – but but it's definitely turning around. It's definitely not like it was in the eighties and early nineties when I started. So Yeah. And it's still a good place. Yeah, and I know through our previous, you know, conversations, the previous podcast we did with you, you talked about some of those experiences and stories and going to some jobs there in um, you know, in a tough town, uh a tough New England town like Bridgeport is. Talk to me though about this transition, right? Because you go from riding the busiest companies, going to fires becoming the chief of that department, being very much immersed in the culture and building the future of the Bridgeport, Connecticut Fire Department. And then you go to retire. And then you pick up a chief of department job, right? You apply for and get the job in Danbury, Connecticut, which is a smaller community. Give me the rundown on Danbury, the makeup and size compared to Bridgeport. Right. So so Bridgeport is 150,000 people in 15 square miles. Danbury is like 88,000, but it's in 44 square miles. Yeah. So and, and it's a it's a funny town. It's um, downtown is very densely populated. Three woods uh, really packed in. And then just a few short miles from downtown, you know, I'm using brush trucks and tankers. Yeah. And uh, and 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 not like miles out, just five minutes from downtown center. So it's so it's really cool. The the variety of things that that, that come in here and, and the way I kind of ended up here was, you know, they have a hard retirement of 65. The chief, these, there's six chief officers as a chief assistant chief and four deputies. And three of them turned 65 within a couple of weeks of each other. Oh, wow. So so the, the chief, the assistant chief and, and the senior deputy had to leave. Uh, there was kind of like this transition that they, they were like, you know, there's this leadership uh, void. I live up here. I, I've so they all knew me. So I was an outside chief, but I wasn't a stranger. As I said in my interview, I said, I don't need GPS to find any of the firehouses. You know, I, I've yeah, taught right. here. I've, I've stemmed their fires. So, you know, they're used to seeing me in the crowd. So, so even though I came from the outside, they all kind of knew who I was. Right. So, so that really, so they were like, look, we need an out. We need, we have to hire an outside chief. We don't have the, the, the bench isn't deep enough inside. And then in a very strange, my new assistant chief, he and I were on the job in Ridgefield together in the early eighties. And, and just kind of went when I left for Bridgeport, he came to Danbury and we kind of parted ways and, you know, hey, how's it going? We see each other once in a while. And now he's my car, too. And and he's phenomenal. He's unbelievable. 
Yeah. So let me let me ask you. I mean, the, the you had to make some decisions, and you you left Bridgeport. You now have an opportunity in Danbury. You take that opportunity, and you start talking about the differences in the two jobs. Right, uh, Bridgeport's much more urban, densely packed. Uh, you know, a, a, a work town. Danbury does a little bit less on the work, a little bit less on the call volume, a little more, uh, much larger. Uh, area spread out, more diversified, if you will, as to tactics, strategies, and operations. There's got to be even – go ahead. What were you going to say? No, 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 right. And, and and the other thing about Danbury is is it's a combination department. So oh, we have, wow, there's uh, another we, layer. Yeah. Right. So we have 12 independent volunteer companies who, you know, some are doing okay. Some are very much struggling with recruitment and manpower and, you know, not turning out and whatnot. So, so that's a challenge as well. So for you, 34 years in Bridgeport, you've been in the fire service longer than that, I'm sure. Right. Cause I think you did volunteer at one time or maybe before Yeah, volunteer right? next, next year I'll be 40 years career. And then volunteer yeah. almost the whole time as well. So. Yeah. So when you when you start talking about numbers like that, when you came to Bridge or when you came to Danbury after Bridgeport, even a guy with over forty years of fire experience, you had to learn some new things. No. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> in, in Bridgeport on on a nine one one call for a structure fire, you know, I mean, it's not FDNY, but it's. But it's four engines, two trucks, the rescue, a safety officer, two chiefs with aides. There was 32, 33 guys responding. Here, we're, we're, we were two engines and the rescue, and or now I've, I've converted them from a rescue to a squad, but, but we're getting 18. And there's only 20, there's 23, and then a stack unit with 25 on a, on a shift. So there's not a lot of people. I, I laughed. I, I went to a fire not long after I got here, and I said to the incident commander when I got out of the, you know, I didn't hear the radio between the time I pulled up and the time I was getting my goods on. And I said, hey, you know, let's get a second alarm here. And he goes, they're here. I go, what do you mean they're here? There's nobody here. And he goes, that rig. I'm like, what? A second alarm gets me one three-man career engine. That's it. Yeah. Wow. You know, the second alarm in Bridgeport would get me 12 more people, two engines, a truck and, and 12 more people. So yeah, learning to not, I mean, these guys just work and work and work and work. And, and it, it's really a credit to them because they, they have some big city fire problems and they don't have big city fire staffing. That's, that is a, I have to believe a common theme across the country, right? I mean, you travel oh, a lot and I know you're involved with different organizations and so on. And so I'm sure this is part of those conversations, but for you, when you came from Bridgeport to Danbury, other, you know, there has to be a lot of other things too, because not only operationally, but also culture and tradition and unions and rules and bylaw or, or uh, you know, volunteer departments, a career guy, like, there's a lot more here, right? So for you, you really had to sit back. And, and what was your approach? Like when you came in the door, are you much more of a sit back, watch, and see how it's been, and then start to institute some ideas, thoughts, or change? Or did you come in with a heavy hammer? No, no heavy hammer whatsoever. Yeah, right. um, again, I, I had an advantage because they all kind of knew me, um, but I wasn't intimately involved. I wasn't a member here or anything, but I did come in and, and kind of sit with some people and go to some calls and ride and, 
and kind of be like, hey, how's that working out for you? You know, like, and, and I'll be honest, like one of the biggest changes I've made since I've been here and, and some people love it and some people hate it. We had a staffed heavy rescue. So we had five engines, a truck, and this staffed heavy rescue. And, and you know how it is in most departments. In around four o'clock in the afternoon, all hell breaks loose, right? Medicals, automatic alarms. And we would run out of companies that could fight a fire all the time. And I'm like, so I was able to, through some creative work, able to get a, a rescue engine. So now instead of the guys being on a heavy rescue, they're on, we call it a squad. And it's still, its main purpose is rescue. Right. But if I have to, if it has to go first due to a job or if we're training and we have to relocate, it can go cover an engine house for a couple hours as an engine. So a couple people, you know, the FDNY guys, hey, the guys with the yellow front, that's the JV, you know, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So there was a little bit of that, like, you know, no, 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 don't, you know, just because you got to trade your blue front for a yellow front, you know, you're no less a rescue company. It just means you can you know, fight a fire too. talk about the politics of that though, because you you're coming in and I have to think that they're on guard. They knew you, they knew who you were, right. They know the type of chief you were, but you're coming in new, man. You're an outsider coming into a smaller department and you're coming from a bigger department. I have to think Uh, that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's tough. And, and you know, they, at one of the pieces of advice I got when I became an outside chief was, you know, don't say in my old department. Yeah. And, and I, but it's in, like, I have 34 years of reference to Bridgeport. So for me not to say, even in just conversations to be like, wow, you guys really do that better. You know, in Bridgeport, it would be, so I end up by trying to catch it. So now the joke is I never say in Bridgeport, I say, you know, another fire department I'm very familiar <laughs> with. And they laugh yeah. and they, yeah, you know, right. so even when I talk to the union about things and, and the union here has been fantastic as well. They really, really have. So it, it really has been good. I, I I've enjoyed it immensely. It, it's a different challenge. We were laughing. Um, Things that get on my desk here, you know, again, a smaller department, uh, Danbury's about 120 uh, people uh, full time. And then right. the volunteers was about 80 of them. And um, I things that I do here and have to do here. A lot of times the chief is on a call. I have to be like the battalion chief. You know, I have to respond to another call as a chief officer. I would never do that in Bridgeport. There was plenty of chiefs. Yeah, lots of you know, things like that. In. Yeah. Right, but, right. but that's got to be a little bit. That's got to be fun for you. I mean, I know it is you, fun. I know you fun. love being a fireman. I mean, you're a fireman first. Yeah, I mean, I I was always kind of a hands-on guy. You, yeah, you know that. And then, if anything, here just out of sheer necessity for the staffing, I end up by being a little more hands-on than I ever was. I was telling you before we started, we we have a, a we have a big lake in town. We have a big uh, fireboat, thirty-three foot boat. Um, which isn't big to the saltwater guys, but for a lake, it's pretty sizable. Yeah. And the marina called, hey, the boat's been winterized. You got to get it out of our parking lot. And the guys from the maintenance division, the shop had already left, and there was really nobody around to go get it. And it was like 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. I'm like, I'll go get it. And I, you know, I could see some eyebrows like, you're going to go get it. And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I jump in the, in the international, I drive up to two towns away, hook up to this arc trailer and tow the thing back to town. So I, that speaks volumes though. Right. I mean, as, as you're, well, and the, and the good thing is we, it has a tower on the top and I checked the tower before we left 
to make sure it was folded over. And then <laughs> apparently someone before I got in it had broken the tower. Oh, and I, so, of course, when I get back, everyone's like, Thoad broke the tower. Thoad broke the tower. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. <laughs> That's great. So I hear through the rumor mill, they're all saying, you know, they're scared to say that the chief broke the tower. And I was like. A, the chief did not break the tower, and B, if you want to call me out on something, by all means, call me out. Ownership. So, I mean, that's what you're talking was, about, right? Like, because, right. you know, for, for you to come in, you know, and, and allow for your people, right, your department, right, you're ahead of this new department as an outsider, and for you to roll up your sleeves and your willingness to get dirty and show them, hey, man, I'm just a fireman like the rest of you. Uh, I've had a, a career that afforded me opportunities and street credit and all that. But that all goes into the bigger picture of who you are and how you can steer this department. I have to think that you going to get the boat, a simple little gesture. One, a lot of chiefs probably wouldn't do it. But two, it really sets the stage then for them to understand the, the type of boss you are. Yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to think so. I mean, we've since I've been here 18 months and, and we've bought, um, I bought that squad and then the city has been very supportive of apparatus and you know how long it takes to get everything. And yeah. so I have an engine and a tower ladder on order, but there was no time to, I bought all the trucks in Bridgeport. I was on the truck committees since I was a firefighter all the way up to chief. So I know apparatus and I, you know, you never wanted to just say, all right, this is the truck you're getting. Tough luck. You know, no truck committee. But at the same time, with these production slots and, and all these other things, I don't have six months to have a committee meeting. Right. So what I what I did with these trucks was I I I bought them. I set them up the way I want. But then I had more money built into it for mounting and shelving and whatnot. And basically said the compartments are empty. And I printed blueprints of empty compartments. I said, you put you know, you want a shelf here, you want a tool board there, you want to swing out there, that's fine. And then the same thing with the back, the crew cab. How do you want the seats? You want forward facing, rear facing, flip down, no flip down. That's yours. That's your landscape. You design it the way you want. I'll never ride in the thing. So I I would love for them to 100% of a truck committee. I just haven't had that time. So I'm trying to give them as much ownership into the the end that they're going to yeah. use, which is the crew cab and the compartments. But I think that's important, right? To recognize that and to say like, Hey guys, this is on you because you know, you, you made a comment before you said a lot of things that come across your desk today, you wouldn't have dealt with, you know, back in, in the department prior. Right. And no. so, yeah, you know, absolutely. and, and that's part of this too, is that, you know, Hey, I got to work with, we got to work together here and I want you to accept ownership of this too. Right. And so I don't have the, I don't have the ability to, to put together input from you guys the whole step of the way, but let me give you the operational side, the ownership of that. I think that's just huge. It's, it's working yeah, for your it, people. It, yeah. And trying, trying to give them, you know, we've had some changes, uh, we, we just had a huge change in the way we do promotions. Uh, we had some, some, you know, day jobs that were uh, hard to explain, but they were kind of particular and, and we changed them to captain's positions. It gave a captain's test. So the, the jobs increased the number of captains and, you know, no, nobody likes to take a promotional test and end up on a day job, you know, myself included, but, but this was a big change for this department and, and it's, we only promoted the guys into the spots last week or the week before. So it'll be a big learning curve, but it, in the end, it's going to really work out very, very well. So, but again, it's getting them involved in the, instead of just showing up on Monday and then have three days off until you come back on your 24 about getting them involved in 
you know, uh, in, in how things get going around here and which way we're going to go. This episode's brought to you by Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew at Taylor's Tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017. With over 200,000 tins in the market, they are a leader in the helmet front space. Custom design, one-offs to department orders. They can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on, and they provide nothing but top-shelf product and service to their customers. Check them out at taylorstins.com and check out their full line of product offering. They've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the National Fire Radio podcast and platform, and Taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. And at checkout... For a little extra bonus, use coupon code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for a discount on your order. Exclusions do apply. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. This episode is brought to you by the Affordable Standpipe Prop. Let's break it down real quick. Steve and the crew at Affordable Drill Towers is doing it again. They've created this fully custom and fabricated standpipe prop to support the fire service. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing piece of training equipment. And I want to hop into it real quick. It is designed with a 4-inch manifold of high-strength galvanized Schedule 10 pipe. The cart manifold are powder-coated red for a durable finish, meaning it's not just a talking piece. It's not something you tuck away on the shelf. This is a training prop that can be wheeled into the classroom and then brought out onto the training ground. And so let's talk about that. In the classroom, there's nothing better than having a hands-on prop in front of the students, in front of the fire companies that are there to learn about standpipe and FDC connections. Having that prop in the classroom allows for a great instructional lecture. And then from there, take the standpipe theory and translate it to the training grounds. You could wheel the cart out that's on casters. You wheel it out into the parking lot. And that same training prop that you just used hands-on in the classroom can now be used hands-on on the training ground by pumping into it and flowing out of it. It offers such versatility in its approach. It has a two and a half inch Siamese connection, seven two and a half inch outlets, six of which are standpipe valves, has a water motor gong, sprinkler head with a control valve, and a system pressure gauge. You can also upgrade and put three of the most common field adjustable PRVs. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing training prop that needs to be in every fire company or training department across the country. Reach out to Steve and the crew, info at AffordableDrillTowers.com. Ask for a demo, ask for information, or check them out on social media and YouTube. There's plenty of content out there that shows you exactly what the affordable standpipe prop can do for you. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the challenges of a combination department, if you wouldn't mind. I just spent the last three days touring around Maryland, Pennsylvania, uh, in Delaware, and they have very large combination departments, right? So a lot of the volunteer houses are staffed during the day, and at night the volunteers take over the responsibility. I'm sure Danbury has a little bit different of a system, but it is a combination department. There still is that deep history of the volunteer fire service in Danbury, right? It It is, and, and so in some places, you know, the, the career department is maybe in the downtown center, and then the volunteers cover the outlying. Right. This the 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 firehouses downtown and, and we have about seven fire volunteer firehouses downtown that have been in existence since the 1800s wow and i mean there's there's black and white pictures of them with horses and they're still in existence today um 
but again, they're 12 independent fire companies. And actually just uh, the other night, we just changed the ordinance. And again, I, I give credit to them. They, they're the ones that came up with this, that two of the groups formed battalions. So like four of the companies rolled into basically one company. Right. But I mean, you imagine being a leadership of this, like, hey, we've been incorpor- independent incorporated since 1884. And now you're the guy that says, OK, yeah. we're essentially disbanding this company and we're all going to be one big happy family. And so I really give a lot of credit to their ownership that that was a big it took a set of balls to do that. <laughs> really did. Yeah. But uh, but so. So they don't have a first due district, you know, and basically anything they go on the career side goes on. Right. And so that that can certainly hurt their recruitment and retention because, you know, let's face it, if they're not in the firehouse, they're never going to get there first. So them being like a first due engine, the chances of that are very slim. So so really we've we've been really kind of working with them to, to make tankers and, you know, uh, hose wagons, you know, rigs full of five inch to, to pump. And, and I don't want to say support, but the idea that they're going to be the first due engine is just not feasible. It's just yeah, not going it. to happen. Well, it's a changing environment too. I mean, you know, I can speak to the volunteer service. I live in it, you know, and it's uh, things are changing. I think more quickly than they ever have. And, uh, oh, absolutely. and there, there doesn't seem to be, a lot of areas don't seem to have answers or are willing even to go start looking for answers or ways to combat it. And instead, they're turning a blind eye to the decay of it. And, uh, and that's, that's hard. And so I can, I can foresee the Danbury system where the career staff is really taking on a lot of the daily burden, right, of, of calls oh, and, and, you know, PR events and all that stuff, right? Um, well, you, you just did a show recently, and I forget the guy's name, but he was the chief of uh, Ridgefield, New Jersey. Yeah, Dave Breyer. And, and, yeah, and, and, you know, you guys talked a lot about recruitment and retention of the volunteers in the old days and whatnot. And, and, you know, my story, I grew up in Long Island in a very busy volunteer fire department before I came to Connecticut. But, you know, that the horns would go off on the roof of the firehouse, and it's because there was a fire. Yes. You know, or, or and and they would turn out for an automatic alarm because they would only happen once or twice a week and, and they'd roll four or five engines. And, and now you're lucky if you get a car, you know, so I, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I was just having this conversation. Re- yeah, go ahead. Yeah. If you're really going to, you know, you're trying to get people to join a volunteer fire department and then, you know, drag hose and throw ladders and go to classes and all that. And six months, eight months, nine a year, year and a half, they still haven't been to a fire. And it's like, well, what fun is this? You know, like, where's the, there's pictures in the meeting room of all these big, you know, when Main Street burned down in 1973, when Main Street burned again in 19, you know, 65. But if they don't, and, and it's not like we can go out and start fires, but if they don't see that excitement in that first couple of years, there's a good chance that they're going to be like, why am I wasting my time with this? Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, for sure. Right. Because like we live for the going to that fire. Like, you know, I know I do. I like going to fires, but unfortunately in between fires, you got to do all the other stuff too. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so, yeah. So, I mean, so your, your hands are full, man. You got a lot going on in Danbury. Um, and that's gotta be pretty exciting for you because I, I have to think that you're a challenge type of guy, right? I've gotten to know you, you enjoy a good challenge. 
Um, you, oh yeah, and and you put yourself in a new a new environment, and you know that doesn't that doesn't play safe. And uh, sometimes guys get comfortable and play it safe. And for you to step up and take on a new uh, new chief of department job can't be the easiest thing. But I'm sure you're you're getting a lot of enjoyment out of it as well. Oh yeah, no, I, I'm I'm really really enjoying it. And and I can't say enough about Bill Lounsbury, my second in command, because he's. You know, again, he's a he came up through the ranks here in Danbury, so a lot of times I'm bouncing and bouncing things off of him, and he's like, "Uh, you, that might be too big of a bite to take." You know, maybe we should, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, "Yeah, you're probably right. All right, let's slow down." So yeah, wow, that's good. Well, all right, so let's talk about this then too. We mentioned before you are a hands-on chief. You like you're a fireman. I mean, you like going to fires, right? I do. I do. White cloud, you are not. You tend to. <laughs> You tend to find trouble. You tend to find uh, things that you can get involved with. Um, I was chatting with you a while back. Tends to find trouble means I go out and look for it. Well, trouble seems to find me. All right, trouble seems to find you. That's probably a much better way to put it, right? So trouble seems to find you. You just happen to be in the right spots, though. It's unbelievable because I'm talking to you one day, you're like, Jeremy, you'll never, you'll never believe this. Coming around a corner on my way home, and, uh, well, this place is going stem the stern. Volunteers pull up with an engine shortly after, and Chief Thode's getting his gear out of his trunk, and he's going to work because they only got a couple guys. That is, and and that story repeats itself with you quite often, no? Well, it, it repeats itself enough that <laughs> when I was the chief of Bridgeport, I kept a set of black gear in my car because, and exactly like the picture, I think I sent you the picture of that fire that you're talking about. Yeah. And there's one guy, I mean, this house is just going from one end to the other, yeah, right. daytime job. And there's one guy out in the middle of the road with a inch and three quarter just blasting it. And that's me, but I'm in black gear. And it's because <laughs> I kind of stumbled upon so many fires that I keep, because it would be like, wait a minute, who's the guy in the white gear? Yeah, right, right, right. Right now up here, because I live up here, when I stumble upon a fire, it's okay because Danbury's coming mutual aid. So I was just a town not far from here just had a big fire in one of the high schools, and I was up on the roof cutting the roof. And, you know, guys are like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, it, I'm a mutual aid chief, so I just took the roof sector, so it's all good. <laughs> you know, so I love so much about how I can only imagine how that conversation went down. And then you just keep going. I know you and knowing you, it's just, you said it that matter of fact and just kept working, kept cutting. Kept, oh yeah. It was so much fun. And everybody else is just, they're just like, can you get a load of this guy? I mean, I, I love that, man. I absolutely love it. You mentioned, uh, you picked up a trench job not too long ago, a little special, special rescue, technical rescue stuff right around the corner from your house. Another one that found, you no? Yeah. And very bizarre. I'm, I was off. I was on a vacation day packing to go on vacation and I hear some talking on the radio downstairs, but I, you know, the scanner, but I, you know, I'm not really paying attention and my cell phone rings and it's the chief of one of the neighboring volunteer departments. Who's a captain in Bridgeport. And he's like, bro, do you hear that? I'm like, what? And he goes, there's a trench collapse like right around the corner from your house. Oh. I'm like, seriously? Now, because I'm going away, I don't even have the city car. So I don't have my gear. I don't have a radio. I don't have anything because they're going to do oil change or something. So I take my wife's car. I go <laughs> over there. <clears throat> the guy that called it in is like the pipe inspector for the town. He's the volunteer chief of Bethel. So I, I pull up in, in sweatpants and a black dog T-shirt and a baseball hat. And I'm like, hey, Chris, what's up? And he goes, it's in there. 
and I like it, it. The house was below the street, and they were cutting into the bank, looking for the lateral to hook up. Right. And the guy, the guy made his own trench box out of plywood and two by fours. Well, sure enough, the trench collapses, and sandwiches in him in between the two by four. So he's wow. completely covered. I I can't see any of this when I get there. And you know, it's one of those. It's like any anything, right? So so I I start to go like in. And I'm like, oh, man, this thing's really deep. And I'm like, well, just two more steps, you know, and I, and I dig a little bit and I'm like, well, one more step. And I dig a little bit and I uncover the plywood and the guy pushes his face like like when you have a, a piece of meat in your hand and your dog's trying to come through the door and his like face, you know, just his snout is sandwiched between the door. Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> this guy's alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm... now I'm digging like a madman. Oh and and Chris, the, the chief of this other town, he's moving because the guy has like pickup trucks and dump trucks all on the road. So he's moving all these trucks. Beth, the volunteers, they don't have any kind of tech rescue, but Danbury does. So Danbury gets there. I look up from the trench and two of my rescue bosses, one who's working on the rescue and one who's working overtime on something else. And they look in the hole and they're like, that's what? What are you? <laughs> And That's I'm like, amazing. Yeah, it was very funny. <clears throat> Not funny at the time, but no. But I mean, it's it's just like yeah, I'm cutting a roof. Like yeah, matter of fact, like here I am. Let's go, guys, get in here. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah, I'm like, hey, as soon as you get some guys, start setting some ground panels. Lower, <laughs> lower. Uh, I said, go get a, a battery operated, you know, a herstool. I said, lower the herstool down. I got to move this big rock. And they're like, why don't you get out of there? And I'm like, well, as soon as you're ready, I'll swap with you. Why don't you get So they out got of ground there? panels. And then, you know, then I'm like, and then the same thing. And this always happens. Like it's somewhere, this voice in the back of my head goes, you probably shouldn't be in here. No, of course not. Are you kidding me? So, so, so then I get out and those guys, they did an unbelievable job. I mean, they they set panels and, and I, within just I'm, after we took a bunch of pictures and, and afterward, the head of Connecticut OSHA called me and said, uh, hey, I just want to let you know, we looked at those pictures of that trench job that you guys had, and we can't find one thing wrong. Nice. Like, that was unbelievable. It, it, by the time, they, it took them three and a half hours to get the guy out. Uh, the city, we ended up like using a vacuum truck to suck out dirt, and um, and he, he left. <clears throat> and and so that's, yeah, it was a really, and, and I think, when they finally measured from the curve line down to the bottom of the trench, it was like 17 feet. Oh, is that right? Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, a full strong, you know, a full panel. Wow. Wasn't, you know, even enough. So, yeah, that's I a mean, legit, he, that's it, a legit job. For yeah. Sure. This guy was deep. Man. Yeah. Holy crap. And so, then, and then yeah. there you are with the hat on backwards. So that's, so I, <laughs> I have to think the guys were like, chief, I thought you were going on vacation. <laughs> right, and then and then my wife gets home from work, and she's like, "Why are there all these muddy clothes in the garage?" I'm like, "Ah, don't worry about it. We got a plane to catch." Yeah, Let's we gotta go. go. We gotta go. Don't worry about it. That's yeah. See what happens? She leaves you alone. Forget it. That's it. So That's what's it. next for you, man? Yeah. What uh, what's got you excited? What what what's happening right now in your world in the fire service that's got you excited? You know, too many people talk about the negatives of the job, the the bitterness, the the fighting, the infighting, all that crap. What's good? Um, like what's what's Danbury is exciting. Talk about uh, it. Danbury is with you know everyone's talking about all these cities getting smaller. Danbury is actually getting bigger. Uh, we we've the whole west side of the city. So right out on the New York State line, uh, in the past couple of years, they built over seven thousand new 
housing units. <clears throat> My closest engine to there is about a uh, nine to 11 minute ride. So we just finished a survey about, and you know, the, the consultants told us what we already knew. I need a station out there. So the city, you know, obviously we have to find the funding, but the city administration is very much on board with, so when people are closing companies, you know, um, I, not tomorrow, but hopefully within the next couple of years, I'm going to have a new station and another company out there. So, so that's really exciting. And then fire headquarters is, is definitely long in the tooth and, and dated, and they're very much in favor of building a new fire headquarters. So, you know, who gets to, what, what guy gets to come in and let alone build one station. I, it looks like I'll probably build two stations while I'm here. So, so, I mean, what's better than that, right? <laughs> of course, of course, you're rich toad. I mean, that's how this shit happens to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that is exciting. And how does how does the planning work, right? I know all different municipalities are different, but when you're looking at that type of sprawl, where you know, I know where I am, we're pretty much tapped out. Other than golf courses, you know, uh, nothing else is being developed, right? But the golf course, I mean, we have one corporate property in town now. Uh, that's going to be developed. You're probably looking at a couple, couple hundred homes and and multi, uh, multi-family condos, townhouses, and apartment buildings. I mean, so we do. I guess we do have two large plots that are being developed recently. That's putting a, a big influx into the community. For you and Danbury, when it comes to planning for those things, uh, do you have a, a good say in the process? Do, is the fire department a recognized voice in when it comes to the planning board and planning and deciding and and so on? Um, yeah, no, they're, they're very good. I mean, the Fire Marshals Bureau, uh, they really do a good job of getting involved and, and then shooting things back to us. You know, the city's been growing for a long time. I mean, I mean yeah. one of the things that I was able to produce was we literally, they did a fire services study test or, a, you know, a, a consultant survey like in 1980 or 81. And it talks about the expansion in on the west side of the city and then they another chief did one in the early 90s and then another guy did it in the early 2000s so basically i was able to say hey look you know this is and and there was no one shocked everyone you know but here we are we've been talking about this for for years and here's all of these reports saying the west side's growing it's gonna need a firehouse and the, the current the, the administration, that's the mayor here, he's 100 percent on board. But what else do you need? Well, right. we need a new high school. You right. know, we need yep. a second high school and we need this. So, you know, the fire department's a small piece sure. of the government of the city government pie. And everybody, you know, the highway department needs a couple more, you know, plow truck drivers because there's this many more miles of road. I mean, it's all of that stuff. So. Yeah. Well, that can be taxing, part of right? The city government to help. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and if it's not scaled accordingly, right? If you don't have good planning and, and background, you know, that's where usually the emergency services get squeezed the most. There's no, you know, I've seen it before where there's there's growth and yet the services that are, you know, uh, currently underway just can't keep up. Yet the city doesn't do more to provide you the tools necessary. So it sounds like Danbury has right. a great support network for you guys for sure. Oh yeah, and, and and you know that's and that's part of the learning curve too is that sometimes the guys in the kitchen, you know, they're like, oh, you know, the city doesn't care. You know, we need another company, and you know, why aren't they building? And I'm like, fellows, you know, yeah, they they know they need another company, but they also know they need 
more cops to protect this area. Yeah. And, you know, all of this other stuff, it's not just as easy as saying, here's a fire truck, you know, good luck, call us when you're done. Yeah. So. So you get out, you drive the district. I mean, you're not a desk chief. Even when you were chief of the department in Bridgeport, you were not a desk chief. No, I, I, I mean, I was 40 minutes away from Bridgeport. So I was out more like pre plant I've lived in this area for, you know, almost 40 years. So, and and that's almost funny now because buildings that I shop in that I, you know, like entertain restaurants I eat in, you know, now I'm always kind of looking like, Hey, you know, I wonder if the truck would make this turn, you know, we've got to push this parking lot. (laughs) You know, now I'm looking at it like with a little more responsibility than I ever did before. Yeah. But, uh, so I'm always I'm always paying attention. And then the other thing, too, is that, you know, on my days off, I'm running into, you know, rigs, you know, they're at Home Depot, they're at Stop and Shop, they're sure. here, they're there, you know, so I'm running into to my people after hours. So, you know, or I'm running into the restaurants. Hey, chief, you know, come on over. You want a beer? I'm like, I'm good. I got to go. I got to yeah, go. <laughs> got to go. Yeah. Well, listen, man, I, I always love talking with you and, uh, you know, you, you, it's a lot always... of fun. You're, you're really, you're doing a good job. You know, I mean, uh, you had to have that Nick Esposito on there, but you know, never right? heard of him. I know. I know you guys, there's a fun story there too. Like everybody loves Nick Esposito, right? Can we talk about that for half a second? Like I, I put him up on the podcast and you get, I get endless love for this guy. From listen everywhere. to the way that guy talks. I know he, I he know. gives a first report and he's like, Butter fights at one, two, three, main street, five story brick, uh, 40 by 60 people trapped on the second floor, heavy fire from the third. Give me a second alarm. And you're like, what? And he gives the same report that smooth. No, uh's, no, yeah. ums. Yeah. And you're like, wait a minute. Did he just say what I think he said? Yeah. He's <clears throat> all business. I mean, he's super oh, yeah. smart. I know you two. I mean, you know, there's, there's the history there, right? Between you two in Bridgeport. And I know that he was, uh, an important guy to you. Uh, oh yeah! Throughout yeah. your career and his career, we kid I- each other about who's less warm and fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But he's really doing great things, and I'm excited to watch oh, yeah. him grow and expand his mission uh, in his class and so on. So it's always fun to uh, partner up with him, and uh, and it was just great reconnecting with you a little bit. You and I, every couple of months, we'll drop a, a note to each other or a quick phone call. I think I stopped in Danbury probably a year ago yeah. just to yep. congratulate you on your new office and uh, and so on. But I, I'm just yeah. very, very honored and, 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 frankly, very thankful for National Fire Radio because it's allowed me to, to really meet guys like you and I value you more than you'll know. Your storytelling, it, your laughter, it, it's fun, man. If anybody's ever watched National Fire Radio, the shorts that, that Jeremy wore <laughs> to Stanford, he's not allowed to wear up to Stanford. Oh, I got others. I got red with lobsters on. I got all sorts of shorts. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I have to tell you, it's kind of a showman thing. Like, if people talk about my hair and people talk about my shorts, that's what they talk about. So That's true. You know what? So why not stand the out? The hair, right? I'm jealous. But but the shorts, I'm not jealous. The hair, absolutely. <laughs> Let me tell you something about that <laughs> hair. It's starting to get a little thin on top. And my kids remind me every day they walk by me while I'm sitting on the couch. So I can promise don't, you. Don't talk to me about so. <laughs> Well, listen, Chief. Yeah, you. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, we're this was a lot of fun. Doing it on a Friday afternoon. So enjoy your weekend. And, uh, you too. Yeah, let me know when the Black Cloud finds you again. And uh, I'd love to hear another story. So. Yeah, and anytime anybody wants to reach out, you know, I'm not that hard to find. So, you know, if they want to 
argue with me about something, I'll, I love it. So. Yeah, I know. And I know that you thoroughly enjoy talking about the job. So uh, if anybody oh, yeah. if anybody listening wants to reach out to Chief Thode, Danbury, Connecticut Fire Department, and we'll put uh, contact info where you can find them on social media and uh, yep. so on. Rich, thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you, Jeremy. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. Guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. That was Chief Rich Thode of the Danbury, Connecticut Fire Department. A dear friend and a valued leader in the American Fire Service. This guy works for his people, and he promotes his people. So talk about the job. Go home. Go to the firehouse. Share. Talk. Subscribe. We appreciate all the love, and keep talking about this job, because as we talk about the job, we're always making it better. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.